Hey, this is Nick from BJJ Pandas. This is Vic. And we are back. So, hey, if you're listening for the first time, just uh, thank you for coming and joining us. Appreciate that. If you've been a listener since the beginning, going to make a slight apology. We took a break. So last episode you heard was back in April. Now we are in September, almost almost October, and we haven't been able to really produce a whole lot of content for you. So a lot of things going on. This uh, episode number... Uh, whatever the number is. It was uploaded today. I think it's like 32. Something like that. Actually walks through why we haven't been around and talks about the journey that we've had as we go through. So if you're new to the podcast, welcome. Hopefully you enjoyed it. It's an amazing podcast. Lots of cool stuff. If you've been listening forever, guys, we love you. Thank you so much for listening. I've heard you. I've, I've been getting messages and people telling me, where's the podcast? I miss Monday mornings. We're back. We are absolutely back and back for uh, at least the duration. So we do have, you'll notice a little bit of an audio degradation. Uh, if you listen to some of the original content, it sounds like complete shit. And then if you listen to like episode four through something, it sounds much better. And then if you listen to, at some point, uh, the episodes, they sound really, really good. And now we're kind of back to the much better stage because my board broke. Um, oh, we'll get it back. If I had that board, I'd make like a wah, wah, wah. So yeah. I don't have that board. So hopefully we're going to get that back here pretty soon, and the the the, the uh, audio quality will go back to where it was. But the content has always been amazing. Yeah. So welcome back, guys. Welcome back. Hey, real quick, just want to plug a couple of things we have going on. So uh, do you want to just give a shout out to Triple Crown MMA? So that's the gym that both Vic and I train out of, and Jordan Sullivan. So really excited to be there. Uh, but do you want to do a couple of uh, shameless promotional plugs? Yeah, I have to. Uh, Got to. All right. Well, as long as you guys are okay with it. Uh, not going to be like a, a, a JRE episode where I plug everything in the you entire world. Well, not everything. Not, yeah. <laughs> uh, so BJJ Pandas. Guys, you all had inspired me to start a line of geese and no gi wear. My wife also started Shadow Realm BJJ with Elisa Hampton, so super excited. We have a full line of gear. So we have geese, we have rash guards, we have shorts. The whole shebang. Every, you want it, we got it. Well, not everything. Not most. Just most about things. everything. Just about everything. We do patches, we do shirts, we do hoodies, hats, pretty much whatever you'd want uh, if, you're, if you're practicing BJJ. We have slides. We have slides. We yes. don't really have slides. Well, we kind of have slides. We can't... Working on. I tried them. They weren't great. I don't want to sell them. If we uh, yeah, so okay, we're, we're good. Uh, yeah. But we, we're, we, working out. we're also working on boxing gloves and shin guards for our striking fans. Uh, so, yeah, a lot of cool stuff. If you head over to BJJPandas.com, you're going to see a great website that actually has a bunch of links. One of those links is to all the previous podcasts. You'll be able to see those. Uh, there's also a link to our gear. So if you click on products, you can go to BJJPandasGear.com forward slash store, which is a lot to remember. So just go to BJJPandas.com. And you'll be able to see a full line of all the different products that we offer. You can pick them up in person if you're in the tri-state Kentucky, Cincinnati area. Or you can get them sent to you because we ship. So that's certainly a thing. Credit card, PayPal, whatever you want to use. Uh, and guys, we are so excited to be back. I'm excited. We have the, this uh, BJJ Pandas line, Shadow Realm line of gear that is going out all over the country. We have uh, schools that are supporting uh, the, the line throughout the country by using us as their provider of their gear for their academies. And we have them all over here in Kentucky, Ohio, Indiana, all over the place. So we are everywhere, and we're really, really excited. The other thing I'd ask, and I think Vic asks more than I do, is if you want to share your story, let us know. Go on to bjjpandas.com, click the Contact Us, shoot me a message on Instagram, shoot me a message on Facebook, bjjpandas, Shadow Realm, bjj, either one, and uh, click, like it, follow us. Do all the things you do on social media, and we're going to grow this thing to be huge. So We want your story. We do. I want your story. Vic wants your story. Our Give audience it to wants us. your story. We all want it. Everybody wants to hear your journey. Guys, so with that, hopefully you enjoy the episodes. Let us know what you think, and we'll talk to you all soon. Hi, and welcome back to BJJ Panda Journeys Stories from the Mat. I'm Nick. I'm Sean. And today we have a really, really special guest that I am super excited about. Today we have with us Mr. Russ Kenny. Hi, Russ. Hey, how's it going, guys? It's going really well, man. So Russ is uh, one of our resident black belts here at Triple Crown, also part of the Sean Hammond School. So, uh, Russ, let's start off real quick. Size, weight, height. Yeah, well, I'm six uh, six. That's that's pretty good. Uh, I'm pretty sure I'm six <laughs> six. Uh, I'm running around anywhere between two forty five and two fifty. I was two fifty two my last competition with the gi on, but as an ultra heavyweight, 
Um, I don't. I don't have to weigh in. I just have to be over 222 pounds, which I'm, I'm well over. <laughs> yeah. There you go. When Russ says 6'6", six, six, like you don't know what that really yeah. means until he gets mount. <laughs> when Russ gets you in mount, you understand what all of 6'6 six, six is. Russ is also a black belt. I think I said that like six times already, but I'm going to say it probably about 12 more times. Yep, I, it took me about 13 years, a little over 13 years to get it. Um, I got it this last February. At uh, team training down in uh, Nashville with Sean Hammonds and Team Sean Hammonds. Um, I was one of four Cincinnati brown belts for Sean's program that got promoted. We got Tyler Hampton that got promoted here mm-hmm. from Triple Crown. Jeremy Pender and his wife Marissa Pender down there at Vision MMA. I was the last one, so technically they're, <laughs> they're higher than me if, if we go by that. I, and it was it was really cool. So uh, I was able to go down and, and be part of that that team training, and it was just amazing to watch. And I think I don't know many people that deserve it more than you do. And I think we're going to talk through some. Well, of those I appreciate things. that. But I, I think it's it's apropos to say how old you are. Also, since we talk about how old we are all the time, right? Sean is way older than his actual age. I think he's actually like seventy two. Uh, seventy four. Seventy four. Uh, you look like you're forty. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he's only thirty six. Yeah, forty one. I just turned 49 this year. And he's in better shape than both Sean and I big Absolutely. (laughs) It's pretty awesome to get the role with Russ. Funny story about Russ. One time he had me in mount, uh, which it happens a lot. And I went for a particular sweep we're working on where you swing your legs over to the other side of the calf. And it usually is really effective because I'm pretty big, you know, 260. And all all Russ did was look behind him and try to figure out what was bothering him. And he just picked (laughs) up my pant leg. And just picked up the entire bottom half of me and set me back in the middle of his uh, his mount. I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> my, my leg was stuck. <laughs> it was stuck. And I'm like, man, I, I need to get my leg out or I'm going to get swept. And I got it out. But there have been times that I think you have been successful in, in sweeping me when I get lazy and don't get that leg up. Yeah, it was, it was pretty uh, – I felt like a child, a small yeah. child. Right. lifted up the bottom half of my – I love when I get to spar with Russ. It, it's, it's few and far between because my, my training is so, so spotty right now. But I am trying so hard to like concentrate on like what I want to do. And Russ is literally just talking to someone just as we are talking right now. He's like, yeah, so I was at Kroger and I saw the, the hot dog buns. Oh, hold on one second. Okay, yeah, good scissor sweep attempt. Stuff that. It's just so great just to be able to see how fluid uh, he can be on the mat. It's amazing. Well, and to that point, I think you, it was two weeks ago you went down to the pans? I went down to the 2021 uh, IBJJF pan tournament, which is the second largest IBJJF sponsored or hosted Jiu-Jitsu tournament, and I got second place. Second place in black belt That's, division. Uh, masters for ultra heavy. <laughs> <laughs> got to put the masters. There you in go. There. So this yeah. is, this is fascinating to me, right? So I think about like I mean hell, we're, we're white belts and blue belts, right? So you get to the end of your white belt and you've kind of figured out a lot of things, and you're like, all right, I can compete because I know as much as a white belt will probably know. And then you get to a blue belt, and you're like, well, fuck, I don't know anything right. anymore. I'm not going to compete because I'm scared. But when you get to black belt, like, there was one guy you fought. How long did the, the last guy that you fought? So Carlos is a four-stripe black belt. So that's one stri- uh, three years for every stripe for the first three, and then five for the fourth? Yep, five for the fourth. Yeah, so math mo. is hard, but even I can tell you that's 14 years yeah. as a black belt. As, as a black belt. And I he was the number one seed. I was talking to uh, Sean Hammonds, and I was talking to Kenny Cross, and we were kind of going over the bracket. And when they saw Carlos's name in there as number one seed, they're like, he'll be in the championship. I didn't know a whole lot about him, and I, I try not to do a whole lot of research because I don't want to, like, get myself all nervous and anxiety. Right. Psych yourself out. I, yeah. I definitely had the anxiety, you know, be- the, the day before the match or the day of the match. Getting, I didn't have a bye, but I wasn't the bottom seed. Um, I was able to get to the semifinals. I had a, I had a good semifinal fight, and next thing you know, you know, I'm sitting in the championship and, and as a black belt in, at, at the pans. I knew who I was going to go against, and I watched him fight. He takes people down, and I'm like, well, you know, I'm trying to come up with a, a plan. Kenny Cross and, and Kenny Cross, he's he's a Masters two black belt, um, and he's he's tough as nails. I mean, he is strong. He, he has grips that are like a mechanical vice. You know, we kind of worked on a plan, and I'm trying to, I think, well, I'm just going to try to stand up with him as long as I can and, and try to stay even with him. And about 45 seconds in the fight, he pulled guard on me, and I was like, holy shit. This, this, yeah. guy, this, this guy pulled guard on me. You know, I'm not used to someone, you know, I personally, he's a little bit bigger than me. He's about 240 or 260. I was shocked that he pulled guard, and I'm like, okay, I can work from this. Yeah. But really, 
how often when I train at the different schools that I train at here in Cincinnati, does, do I have a lot of difficulty getting out of someone's guard? Now, all of a sudden, I got a black belt. He's been doing it for four, you know, 14 years. I'm in his guard, and I thought, okay, work on my posture. He broke that. I worked on it again, got posture, and he went for um, a pendulum sweep, and I was able to stuff it and worked again on, on keeping his grips off me. And I heard Kenny Cross says, he's like, Rush, you're going to have to stand up, unfortunately. And the minute I grabbed his left, his right hand on my, on my left side, I was going to do a two-on-one and stand up. He secured that, my left hand, right, you know, on this belly, belly button was, and went right back to that, that sweep, and he had me. And he swept me as we were going out of bounds. You know, I'm thinking, well, there's two points. Now he's got four points for the mount. I'm down 6 nothing, and they stopped it, and we moved this back to the middle. He gets back on top of me, and I'm like, what do I do? I really thought to myself, what do I tell my students how to get out of this? And the first two things I tried were stuffed. And I'm like, uh, oh, I'm in trouble. And he went for a head and, head and arm choke with my right arm, which I have a bad shoulder, and I was able to defend that. And then he quickly transitioned into a head and arm choke with the left, and I was stuck. And I'm like, you know, I really thought to myself, I'm like, if I can get out of this, which I was pretty sure I could stop his submission, I'm still in mount. I'm down 6 nothing. He's probably got a couple advantages because he's had two submission attempts that I had to legitimately fight off. I would have to sweep him, somehow get out of his guard, get some points. With about two and a half minutes left, and, you know, the, it's getting tight on my left shoulder, and I'm like, I'm going to tap. Do you think that's part of getting older and, and the acuity of being on the mats where, you know, 20-something-year-old kid, they're not going to give up. Like, they will die on the mats as opposed to us that were like, you know what? To your point, even if I get out of this, I've still got a six-point deficit right. to work out of. i still got to work out of his mount. Like, that that's insurmountable at this point, and there's no advantage, right? And the fact that you made it to silver, like, that's amazing to yeah. begin with. Yeah, I was I was happy with where I got to. When it comes to the IBJJF tournaments, when you get into the semifinals, you're guaranteed a third-place medal. If you lose, even if you know the other semifinal takes place, the loser of that and the loser of the other semifinals, they don't fight for third and fourth. IBJJF says you're both third-place medalists and you're both on the stand. So when you see two people on you know, the third-place stand – because they, they both lost in the semifinal. They don't have the time or the mat space with everyone that comes to compete to have a third, fourth place finish. You get to the semifinal, you're guaranteed a third place medal. I didn't want that. I got to the semifinal and I'm like, I can beat this guy. You know, I can beat my semifinal matchup. And I did. And I did it fairly, fairly easy. You know, I got, I got up by five points. I had an advantage. You know, I know that my coaches were wanting me to try some submissions. I was trying some. He was defending it. And I'm like, there's two minutes left in this match. I'm up 5 nothing. If I go for a submission and I lose it and he sweeps me and then he starts getting points, I could lose this match. And I had to really think about how I wanted to fight at that. My first IBJJF fight was in the open division of Masters 4 in Memphis. And I had a buy in my bracket because no one no one signed up to fight in the Masters for Ultra Heavy, so they just give you a gold medal. That's a hollow that's a hollow medal. Yeah, for sure. You know, I'm not gonna right. put that on Facebook or Instagram and be like, eh, I got first place. No, that's a participation medal. Right. <laughs> yeah. When I got into the semifinal, it was actually that it was actually the quarterfinals of open for Masters Four. Guy that I was fighting had I know he had one I think he had one stripe on. You know, he pulled guard. I Quickly went into side control, tried to pass it a couple times. I couldn't get it, kept getting me back into guard. Um, I get back into half guard. I made a mistake where he got a deep underhook on me or, or went deep half guard on me. And he started lifting my leg up to my shoulder, up to his shoulder, top of his shoulder, and he was walking me out of bounds, like sliding. I was fighting it. And as we're getting close to the out of bounds marker, not knowing how they ref these fights, I thought, well, I don't want to be pushed out of bounds be in a bad position. So as we're going out of bounds, I pulled guard because that's what I would do here in class. That gave him the sweep. It gave him two points. Uh. So with a minute 45, they stopped this right away and they moved this back in the center and he's in my guard. And I'm like, oh, I can, I can sweep this guy. I can win it. Well, you're at the black belt level. That person's not a black belt because they get swept in their guard very easy. <laughs> and it was, it, was, it was a minute 45 seconds of constantly trying to sweep him and he was stuffing my my sweep attempts to the time ran out and I lost two nothing 
He went to the semifinal. His guy didn't show up, so he went straight into the championship. And then the guy that he beat, he beat him in like 45 seconds with a, with a, with a leg lock. That could have been, could have been yeah. me, yeah. you know. So when I came back, I started to understand how IBJJF does tournaments. And basically, you learn you either pull guard or you take it, you do a takedown, get those points, and fight that takedown. Because in ultra heavy, let's let's be real. If someone takes someone down in ultra heavy and gets into side control or into half guard, there's a good chance you're probably going to stay there. Yeah, those are those are big points. It's hard. It's hard. It's hard, it's hard for us big old guys <laughs> to, to get out of that. Yeah. So I, I was happy, and I've signed up for the Worlds in Nashville, and I know there's 18 people in my bracket, but work is is not going to cooperate with that schedule. I have some things that I have to attend back here in Ohio. So I, I'm signed up. Unless something changes, I'm not going to be able to compete in the Worlds, which is disappointing, but I am going to go to the Nashville Open on October 23rd. Well, and I'll tell you, I mean, silver at Pans, uh, as your first year as a, as a black belt, and we went through COVID, there's a lot of challenges there. And to go up against, you've been training for how long? Well, I'm probably getting close to 14 years now. So you've been training for as long as that guy's been a black belt. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, right. That's crazy right. to think, right? I, I started training with Sean Hammonds after Lloyd Irvin gave him his black belt. Let's, let's actually talk about that. So it's interesting. So if anybody doesn't know the Triple Crown of MMA, so we're, we're here out of, out of Florence, Kentucky, Sean Hammonds School, I think we've talked about that before. But Russ, you're kind of a, a Ronin, not quite a nomad. I, w- I would call you a Ronin to Sean Hammonds, right? So you train at a lot of different schools. Curious, how did this journey start for you? Like, when when did you start jiu-jitsu? What school did you start at? What state were you in? Like, what, where did that start? When I was working at the Claremont County Sheriff's Office, I was working in the jail. I, Claremont I, County in Ohio? Oh, at Ohio, yes. Yep. One of the correctional officers there that I became friends with, Jason Haas, a combatives instructor in the Army. A big Haas. But, yep, yep, okay. Jason Haas. He always encouraged me to get into ground fighting. And to be honest with you, I was I was scared of it. Being on the ground is not a place people like to be, and you usually think the person on the ground is losing. And being in law enforcement for so long, you know, 26 years now, your training is if you're on the ground, you're you're losing. I went to Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu of Cincinnati. It was uh, at the time that I started going there, it was being run by a guy named Craig Wallace who had a couple stripes, and he was a purple belt. And we trained out of the Anderson YMCA. We showed up at 8 o'clock at night. We had a racquetball room that we had reserved Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, and we would roll out these five blue old wrestling mats before class, and we would tape them down, and then we would train until 10 o'clock, and then we would peel the tape off, roll it back up, put them in the storage unit, and then go about our day. It's funny, that was Sean's first school. So that was a Sean Hams affiliate. That was Sean's first ever school, and he got it when he was a brown belt. After we got second in the world's, he had somehow got in connection with Craig Wallace. Sean is from Northern Kentucky. Craig had asked Sean if they could be under him, under an affiliate. I think they, at the time they were under Pedro Sauer, but really it was more kind of like a loose affiliation. We weren't paying any fees to it. Craig, Craig would get some training in, write some things down in a notebook, and then you know come back and teach. Sure. Him and Sean hit it off well, so we became Sean's first affiliate school. And another purple belt in there, a little bit lower than Craig, his name was Ryan Passett. And he was from Brown County coming all the way over to Hamilton County to train. And that, for, for folks that aren't from the area, that's that's a distance. That's a distance. That's a, that's a good 40-minute drive. Ryan, train in a YMCA. To train in a racquetball room. Racquetball <laughs> to, to jiu-jitsu. And, it's like going to Atos or right. <laughs> some yeah. big name and, and this was... This was when jiu-jitsu was becoming really popular. The Ultimate Fighter was was really popular. Yeah. And this is the mid-2000s. And to see a, a purple belt in Cincinnati was 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 rare. These two guys, you know, Ryan Passett and Craig Wallace, Ryan opened up a school in Georgetown, Ohio, which is in Brown County, which is two counties over from where we were training at. He, ha- he ran the school Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday. So it never interfered with what we were doing over there. Oh, cool. And then eventually Sean started to grow. Craig was promoted to a black belt. Ryan was promoted to a black belt. And then Sean met up with Jordan. At the time, Jordan Sullivan was at Son of Siam off a of double-way highway. And when I first met Jordan, we were still at the YMCA. No, I take that back. We had moved from the YMCA, and we went to the Beachmont Rack and Fitness Club. 
You guys love racquetball. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Are was, you a racquetball player at all? Like, uh, is, yeah, do I look like a racquetball player? <laughs> <laughs> if you ever go to a racquetball court, like everything reverberates off the wall. You oh, can't exactly. hear anything. And, and they imagine. gave us a good room where we could lay our mats out and we never had to pick them up again. That's awesome. And nice. so we did a lot of training and Sean got hooked up with, met Jordan Sullivan, who was a purple belt. I think maybe he was like a one-stripe purple belt. Jordan was tough then and I was a blue belt. But maybe one out of every five times I would roll with him, I would I would get him or, or beat him by points. But once Jordan started training regularly under Sean and under Sean's system, I mean he took off. Yeah. I mean yeah. he he became a a very very tough competitor, and he opened up the gym with a buddy of his down there in um, Walton, Kentucky. I think it was called Triple Crown Fitness and CrossFit and Fitness or something. Then they went their different ways. Jordan opened this, this school here as Triple Crown MMA. I was kind of training back and forth with Triple Crown, Cincinnati uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu under Craig Wallace, and then every now and then I might make it out to, now they moved it to Mount Orb. Craig eventually got to a point, he had one stripe on his black belt, and we moved out of Beachfront Racket Club and Fitness, and Craig's just like, you know what, I'm done. He's like, I'm tired of coming here and training at night. Um, I'm to the point where... I'm getting too old to come here and train, you know, so he pretty much dissolved that affiliation. So I was spent some time over at Valor BJJ, which is Ryan Passage. Uh, we got some great black belts there. Now we got uh, Mike Weaver. We call him Fawns. We got Jason Haas. We got Jay Patterson. We got uh, James Fisher. I would train there and then train here at Triple Crown. And when I really was getting ready for fights, I would, I would come to Triple Crown and get ready because there were more heavyweights and there were more fighters for me to fight. And it was like going to another school is like, it's like competition all the time. It's interesting that, you know, different schools have different styles and even under the same affiliate, right? So you mm -hmm. think about Jordan and Jordan's style and what Jordan got good at. Of course, that's going to transverse through all of his, you know, his students and everybody he trains with. Just to give the folks that aren't from the area, we've got some listeners in Ireland and Germany, we've got them all over the world. So to give you a sense of what that's like, you live in uh, Ohio, we're in Northern Kentucky, that bordering states, but how far is it from where you live or work to here in Triple Crown? Right now, it's it's about a 40-minute drive. So he drives 40 minutes to come down to Triple Crown, and then Mount Orb, which is another school you train at, how far away is that from where you live? It's another 40 minutes. So 40 minutes there, and sometimes you train at Vision. I, I love going to Vision. I love it. It's so close. Jeremy and Marissa have a great program going on there. In, in my opinion, Vision MMA is probably the most pure, true Mixed martial arts school, yeah. in my opinion. In all the schools that we have around the area, I think that they have best MMA program because they have a lot of fighters that not just compete in, in boxing and kickboxing, but in jiu-jitsu. They have a lot of people that compete in, in a lot of amateur tournaments. Yeah. So, you know, they're tough all around. Well, and Jeff, our striking coach, he trains up in vision a lot. Yes. With Jeremy Pender and Tiger and all yep. those guys. Yep. And, and, and they, have, they have a lot of champions up yeah. there in their striking program. And then I also make it out to uh, Nishimi's Karate, yep. Jason Nishimi over there on the west side of, of uh, the city, which is like Coleraine yeah, yep. Township where Cincinnati is. And, and he's got a tough school over there. So we got we got four really good Sean Hammonds affiliate jiu-jitsu programs. I am lucky enough to be able to get the train with each one of those get instructions from each one of those schools and then also instruct at those schools. I was going to say, and as a student, you know, I, I love the benefit of, of having you come to our school and be able to, tr to to really train some of the things you're seeing in other schools and learning in other places, right? So Jason, I mean, his whole family's been in martial arts forever. Oh, yeah. Super cool, different style, absolutely. Jeremy Pender, again, different style. You've got all the folks out in, at Valor that all different styles. And so it's really cool to have that come back. You know, I think when you get into training with the same person over and over again, you learn what their moves are mm -hmm. and how they move and what they do, yep. their go-to. It becomes easier to stop and, and and work in those situations, but your technique isn't as good, right? You're just, right. You know what yep. to expect. Yeah, and, and the thing I like going to Valor in, in Mount Orb is, in, in my opinion, of, of – all the instructors we have affiliated with Sean Hammonds up in this, the greater Cincinnati area, I think they have two of the best black belt instructors up there. Mike Weaver, we call him Fonz, and then James Fisher. Yeah. They are probably two of the most technically sound jiu-jitsu practitioners, and they have the ability to teach. Not everyone has the ability to teach. Maybe they have the knowledge, but they don't have the ability to, to, to teach the knowledge. And some people have the ability to teach, 
and don't have the knowledge. They possess those two qualities. And when I get up there on Sunday nights at 730, I get to sit back and let them teach. And then when I'm making mistakes or I need some some micro transitions, as people like to say, (laughs) they're there to give it to me. I'll be the first to say, yeah, I'm a black belt. It's a second journey now in jujitsu. Your first journey is is to get the black belt. Then after you get the black belt is now you have that journey as a black belt. I feel like every time I get on the mat, no matter where I'm at, someone sees my size and they see the black belt, they want a piece of it. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. they're always going to come after me. They're always going to give me their best. And I have to try to balance that out with me being a black belt and an ego of not getting beat as a black belt, but then helping the students develop. I've learned this from Sean is whatever level they're at, let's just say we're, we're using a scale of one to 10 and I'm rolling or sparring with someone who's, who's kind of working out of five. I'm going to get up to about a six or seven. I'm not going to go to a 10 and, and tap them out and be like, yeah, I'm a black belt. You know, <laughs> I got it. That, that is, that is just straight ass. Now I do that bullshit. in kids class. Yeah. All I, the time. I do it all the time. In kids class. <laughs> <laughs> I got like, like six of those kids swinging on my arms. Yeah, he you really know? does. Too. And so Russ taught the kids class last week. And I got to tell you, these kids are enamored with them. There's a little girl. I won't say her name because it might be embarrassing. She is, I think, six. She just turned six, maybe seven. She has the biggest crush. And her dad was telling me, she said to him, Daddy, why Why do I, I, I get all funny feeling every time I see Russ? Oh, she did not. <laughs> she did. <laughs> <laughs> he was telling me this morning. <laughs> she, she is such a cutie. When I first really got a chance to meet her was at a tournament like last November over in the West Side. Mm-hmm. And I found myself there as a brown belt still helping teach or coach people from Triple Crown and people from Valor and people from Vision. Because so many people were running around competing at the same time. Right. I was trying to help coach, and I got a chance to, to coach her. And then on the sidelines, I was kind of like picking her up by her ankle and you know <laughs> lifting her up to the ceiling, and that broke the ice. The kids right. just see me as like this big, huge monkey bar. You're, He's yeah. kind of like a cartoon character. Like if you pictured uh, Johnny Bravo – a little bit smaller, but other than that, probably a little taller. Yeah, a little bit narrower. And I have no hair. And no hair. Gentle giant. Uh, other Gentle than that, giant. Yeah. Yeah. I came in today, and there were two of the the, the kids out there, and they're like, "Russ, Russ, can, can you teach kids class today?" <laughs> and I'm like, "No, not today." I said, "But I will make another time to teach kids class." You know, and, and I will. I definitely will because it. They were so well behaved, and they listened so well. And we had the other instructors. And we kept their mind and their body busy. Well, I mean, let's be honest. When Zeus yeah. comes down from the mountain. Right. I appreciate the compliment. But... One of the things that's funny about Russ is he is, when, when I see, like even in class. So Russ is not, quote unquote, I'm using air quotes here. You can't see him. Head black belt at Triple Crown necessarily, nor at Valor or Vision. Because again, you're very much a Ronin and just mm-hmm. part of the Sean Hammond's affiliation. So we have more brown belts that coach more than anything else. So our head coaches are, are typically brown belts, purple belts. And it's interesting. So even when Russ teaches something, like tonight, he was showing us a specific set of moves and he very much goes back to all the other coaches and says, hey, what would you do here? Or how do you see this different? Or in fact, there was one that was a takedown. I was working on shots today. Russ cut the angle, and he's like, hey, I put my head behind the back. Is that what you do? And he was talking to another, James James Hoyt, who's a phenomenal wrestler, yep. amazing nogi. Uh, he's a brown belt here. You know, I think he's probably a brown belt mostly because he does nogi more than anything else. Mm-hmm. Really, really good. But that's just the point of the ego's gone, right? It doesn't right. matter what color the belt is. It's the proficiency at the sport. And we know that. I mean, James has some of the best shots I've ever seen. So James is tough as nails. And so mm-hmm. for Russ to go and, and, you know, forget the belt for a second and just say, hey, here's what I'm doing. Is that what you would do? Or do you do something different? I think that to me, that's just admirable, right? I, I think that's awesome. When I started in jujitsu, there was a, a guy, and his, I'm just going to say his first name was Tyler. And he was, he was Craig Wallace's, you know, right-hand guy. He was a blue belt. He was strong. But he rolled like an asshole. He, he was a dick. And we still talk about it today. I mean, he he always smashed people, never gave them a chance to develop their skills. And I hated that. No. And I hated it because under Craig, there was there really wasn't a system of what we did for each week. It was whatever he felt like we were working on. So there wasn't like we didn't spend a whole, you know, two, three weeks in guard or breaking guard. We just kind of flowed with it. And it was you learn by, you know, baptized by fire. And this guy Tyler was just he was just a dick. He rolled with everyone and and tried to submit him. 
And it got to a point where he was hurting people. With Craig, he said, I'm going to do the same thing that Pedro Sauer did at his school was you hurt someone rolling, you get a warning. Your name goes up on the board. We didn't have a board. We just, you know, Tyler, Tyler, Tyler you're on the board. <laughs> on the racquetball okay. <laughs> Yeah, on the racquetball wall. <laughs> and if you hurt someone where they couldn't train, you were out as long as that person oh, was. that's a really good idea. And if it happened a third time, you were done. And that's what happened. It happened a third time with Tyler, and it happened to Craig Wallace. Craig Wallace had to have knee surgery because nope. he, he was wow. getting out of, out of control. He said, Tyler, as good as he was, and he was, he was a, a, a fairly good instructor, he was told to leave. When that happened, a couple of the other white belts, or not white belts, but, but blue belts that like Tyler, went, and he went to the very first vision that opened up in, in Norwood under Rod Housley. And then Rod sold it, and, and it is what it is today. Tyler doesn't train anymore, and, and it's not just not because he's not good anymore. He just, you know, he had a lot of things going on with his personal life and, and a child. But I'd love to roll with him right now. And, and honest to God, I would I would try to fucking smash him, <laughs> Kill him because he was he was a dick to everybody. When you come into a school and you have that person that wants to be a dick to the new students, those new students leave, yeah. right. and exactly. your revenue leaves exactly. And that's not how you run a successful program. So you hear the term "mat enforcer" all the time, you know, to run guys like that or put them back in check. You know, it's like, hey, you're running people out of here. You know, they're not able to actually train and, and try to use the skills that we're learning. Do you have any kind of Matt Enforcer stories here? Um, yeah, not too long ago, I think I either just got my black belt or maybe I was close to getting my black belt, but I was over at, at, at Valor. It was Nogi, and I don't do a whole lot of Nogi. There was a student there that everyone avoided. I didn't know him. I didn't know who he was. He was kind of a bigger guy, and everyone kind of avoided him. He was working with me, and we were doing some type of Nogi drills and he was telling me how he thought I should do the drill. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, now I know why nobody wants right. to be around you. And James was James is one of the nicest guys when super when he's nice. yeah, super nice when he's teaching. And he you could tell he was being nice, but he would just walk away from him when he started talking. And I'm yeah. like, okay, this guy doesn't know who I am. I saying, so for, for anybody that's listening to this podcast that doesn't know jujitsu, uh, just because we're funny and awesome, uh, no gi, there's no indication. You can get uh, ranked rash guards, but for the most part, there's no indication of rank, rank. or no, any right. kind of like no. how long you've been doing it or anything other than just how somebody moves. So he may have, you know, he may have no idea that you're a brown belt or black belt or you know any of that stuff, right? Yeah, when it when it came time for for sparring after class. I, I worked with him the whole class, and I'm like, you know what? He needs to be put in his place. <laughs> you know, and and Nogi, man, I look like a master on this. Game. I just, <laughs> just wore him the fuck out, and he got off the mat, put his sandals on, clothes, and he left. <laughs> That's you know? when you ride home with no radio on. You're just you're just thinking about your life decisions. We've all been there. At least he, he he come back. He started to kind of learn a little bit. Jiu-jitsu is is a sport that it takes time to learn. Yeah. Now, when you're a wrestler, especially we get a lot of these D1 wrestlers come in, they, they can hang pretty well in the no-gi. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to gi, they they get manhandled. Yeah, you mm-hmm. put the handles on them. Yeah, you can put the handles on them. They're not used to it. And they're like, I don't like being on my back. Or if you can get them flat right. on their back, they're, they're completely out like, like a turtle. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, <laughs> you know? So I, I've never really had to be a mad enforcer. The schools that I've trained at, including Triple Crown and, and Valor and, and, and Vision and the Shimmies, it's a good atmosphere. It's an ego-free environment. We understand that people, we know what it was like to be a white belt come in. I almost quit as a white belt. We're at the we're at the, the YMCA. I hadn't met Ryan Passett yet. Ryan Passett is maybe just a few inches bigger than the girl that's got a crush on me. Okay. <laughs> and he's a, he was a purple belt. I'm getting manhandled by everybody in class. You know, I've been going for a couple months and I see Ryan Passett come in and he loves telling this story. I thought to myself, man, if I can't smash this little dude, <laughs> I suck. You know, and at the time I was like 260. And I went after Ryan, and next thing you know, I'm getting swept. He's he's mount. And like a new person, what do I do? What do you do when someone mounts you? You like try to bench press them off. Uh-huh. Right. We used to do six minute rounds there. In six minutes, he submitted me six times with an arm bar <laughs> for mount. <laughs> Jason Haas was in the class at, at night. I got so mad, and I, when the timer went off, I slapped the mat, and I was like, fuck. I went storming out of the, 
the racquetball room, put my sandals on, and went to the bathroom. And I'm, I'm going to the bathroom. And in comes Craig Wallace, still a purple belt. He's like, hey, man, you all right? I'm like, yeah, I'm all right. He's like, do you want me to tell him to take it easy on you? <laughs> I'm like, fuck that. I went back in there, and I never left. When that happened, when I slapped the mat and I left the mats and went to the bathroom, they looked at Jason. And Jason's like, don't worry, he'll be back. He'll be back. Just give him a second. And that ego kicked in. It, I'll, I'll admit it, I, I have an ego. When you're training jujitsu, your ego is going to get beat on a oh, daily basis. Absolutely. I remember, there was, so there's one time, it was right after COVID. Our school was shut down for a minute. We had, so had a few different cases of COVID all happening at the same time. We said, you know, just to be cautious, we're just going to shut down for a couple of weeks and kind of get things in order. James was nice enough to invite us out to Valor. I think a car full of us drove up there and you were there that night. And I remember you were getting ready for a tournament. I don't remember if it was I – think, I think Sean had called you and said, hey, do you want to do a super fight? And you said, no, but I can't say no to you, so I guess I'll do it. It was in uh, St. Louis. I was giving up mm-hmm. I was giving up like 10 years of age and 20 pounds. Yeah. Oh, wow. You know, and it was a brown belt. So so, so you've got a really good friend that trains with you and is training with you. T- Tim O'Hara. Yeah. Tim O'Hara. And I haven't mentioned him yet, but I will. Don't, don't get upset, Timmy. <laughs> <laughs> and Tim had a, a couple shoulder surgeries and he had some things going on, so he wasn't training that night but he was coaching you right coaching motivating kind of just walking you through like hey you got to do this go do this and really just pushing you and you were exhausted i mean by the end of that night i mean you could tell you're just physically mentally exhausted so tim's like hey nick come here side control get on top i'm like okay so so i i climb over still a white belt right i climb over on top of russ and i don't even remember what happened i have no idea what happened i don't i don't know if you tapped or Something happened, I don't know, time went up, or some, I, I can't remember what it was, but you're really, really angry with yourself. And I'm just sitting there going, what in the hell is he pissed off about? He's like been sparring for 45 minutes straight. Like, right. And I, when I say straight, I mean no timers, no beeps, no 30 seconds in between. 45 seconds straight. And he's got this, at the time, I think it was like 270 pound, just fatness sitting on top of him. And he gets frustrated. And I'm like, man, why would you get upset? But to your point... No matter how hard you try, no matter how you understand the situation, everybody has an ego. And you think, yep. man, I just I should have done this or I should have done that. I should have been able to do this. I, we were cutting weight for the last tournament, and I wasn't eating for at one point. I came in, and we'd still train because we're trying to drop the last few pounds. Mm-hmm. And I remember Kevin was like, man, you just got to move. You, you're not moving. Why aren't you moving? You got no strength. I'm like, I haven't eaten in two days. <laughs> <laughs> and I was still frustrated that I wasn't able to do the things that I wanted to or right. knew I should do. Even though, I mean, realistically, yeah, nobody's going to by not eating for two days. So that ego piece to get rid of that, I think it's admirable when people can step that aside, even though it sits and it lingers in the back. Yeah. For me, and, and you're absolutely right, and I do remember that, and I remember Tim was just trying to get my cardio up, trying to get my cardio up. I knew if I was tired and someone heavy got in my side, it didn't matter how much jujitsu they knew, if I can't do my basic things to get out of side control, I'm going to lose. I'm going right. to stay there. Now, when I got into that super fight, yeah, I got out of side control. I got out of side control twice. The one time, this, this is what kind of kind of screwed me. You know, I, I pulled guard way too early because my stand-up game was, was you know, shit. I had zero stand-up game, you know, because I didn't want to work stand-up because it was hard. And we didn't do a whole lot of stand-up because people got hurt. Yeah, especially big, old Right. Yeah, it's a really bad. It's, it's a long way to fall. It, it <laughs> is, a, especially for you. That's a long way to fall. So when 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 I had that fight with this guy, and I know I can beat him, I was dealing with other issues on getting on the mat. And this is, you know, not a lot of people know this. Growing up, my stepfather was, you know, extremely physically and and sexually abusive to me and my my sister. During that time, this is, you know, the late 70s, early 80s, I was also bullied every day at school. So it didn't matter where I went. If I went home, I was getting beat. If I went to school, I was getting beat. And when you try to tell people these things are going on back in that time, it was, oh, no, Russ, is he, he's just a problem child. He just wants attention. Right. And, and you're telling people that these things are going on not only at home but at school, and nobody does anything for you. And it, and it got to a point where... I was tired of being hit. I was tired of, you know, you try to defend yourself and it just gets worse. You know, you try to ask for help in, in, in school and in the community and you don't get any help. God knows if you yell at a student now, you oh, know, right. oh, yeah. they're all over you. You know, yeah. they're calling CPS and, and you, you're the worst parent in the world. You just tell them they're wrong and that's it. But back then, that's <laughs> yeah. not the way it was. Right. 
Um, you know, and, and I remember teachers, if you were talking in class, they would like walk past you and take their knuckle and like knock you in the head. That, that was the kind of stuff they did. No one, no one did anything about it. So because of all that, I think I'm getting through it a lot better now, but it's very hard for me to get on the mat and start a fight because I think about when I was a kid and how I got beat up all the time, how I was abused. And the more resistance I, I, I did, especially with my stepfather, the harder it got. Yeah. Right. There's an anxiety of getting hurt and losing. I always felt like I was a loser and I always felt like I was going to lose. So to, to compete for me, just to get on the mat, that is a huge mental challenge for me. Right before the pans, you know, I, I woke up at like 4.35 o'clock in the morning. I could feel that anxiety kick in. I'm thinking to myself, what am I doing? Why, why am I doing this? I don't, need, I don't need to prove anything. I got my black belt. Why am I doing this? It's because other people felt, that, you know, that I could do well. They, they had confidence in me of representing, you know, the school team, Sean Hammonds, and getting out there. In IBJJF, when you get ready for a fight, they call you up, you sit in the bullpen, you show them your ID card so they know it's Russ Kenny get, getting on the mat. And you sit in that bullpen until everyone's ready to go. And when it's time to go, they call you and your opponent, they walk you to the mat, you put your card down the table, and you go out the fight. But sometimes you sit in that bullpen for a little bit. And the anxiety and everyone trying to get ready and how you try to stay calm mentally to get ready for the fight so that when the fight happens, you're calm and you're able to think. When you start to panic or you start to doubt yourself, which is already happening for me, you're not going to be successful. I always tell people when they get on the mat, whether it's a local term or wherever else, that I am proud of them for getting on the mat. Getting on the mat is way better than sitting in the stands or right. or, or day later making oh you lost in the jujitsu tournament oh yeah, you're yeah. really good where are you at motherfucker yeah you're actually you know? putting yourself out there yeah, you're putting yourself to... out there and my favorite my favorite quote is from Teddy Roosevelt the man in the arena and it talks about and I have I have that whole quote in a, in a big huge frame in my office uh, where I work at as a detective. And it talks about it's not the critic who counts or the person who talks about how the strong man stumbles. It The credit goes to the individual who's in the arena, who's fighting, who's sweating, who's bleeding, who time and time again fails, but knows more about failing than the cold souls that will never put themselves in that situation. And there's two ways to get better. I talked about my takedown game being weak as, as fuck, you know, and, and, and it was evident. I was, I was putting myself behind the eight ball just because I wouldn't work takedowns. Tim, Tim O'Hare got me to that level of says we're working takedowns and we do that foot prop a thousand times. We've done that foot prop a thousand times. Now, when I get on the mat, whether it's here, whether it's at Valor, whether it's at Vision, I, I go for that foot prop and I'm hitting it. More times than not. And I'm able to develop a second takedown from it. Now I'm, I'm, I'm starting to work a little, I'm thinking, you know, what James is showing tonight would also be like maybe a third part of that foot prop. And to watch, to watch the foot prop, to, 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 as a simple move as the foot prop someone. And this is what, what Sean did so well at the Worlds when he won it. That foot prop, it's there and it's so easy to hit. And it's low risk of getting taken taken down. And because I forced myself to do that, I'm more comfortable getting on the mats. My anxiety goes down. I know that, you know what, I, I can compete at a high level and I can be successful. I don't want to let my students down. I don't want to let the school down. And, and you have to you have to let that go. And you have to fight based on what you know and what you're good at. If you watch my fights, my fights, I'm basic. I'm not getting into all those, you know, high moves and, and six or seven different setups to get to my submission. I'm looking to take down, get into side control, smash, control, look for my submissions. And when I was watching a lot of those high level black belts fight at Orlando at the at the pans, it was the same thing. People were le- losing by cross collar chokes or kimuras. It wasn't anything special. Right. You stuff know? forever ago. Yeah, stuff forever ago. But when, when you get into the like the absolute and you have those young 
20-something-year-olds, yeah. and they got all the energy in the world and all the flexibility, mm-hmm. and this is the only thing they do. Yeah, it's fun watching those moves, and you can find all those moves on YouTube and any type of right. program. But when you sit down and, and look at the basic stuff that you do, I do the mousetrap from Lloyd Irvin. I work a little bit of uh, uh, X guard. I like looking at what Chewy does. I like looking at what JT Torres does. I like looking at what uh, Keenan Cornelius does, DJ Jackson does. They're all Sean Hammond people. All of those people I just named were part of Lloyd Urban's program. That's where Sean came from. They're world champions, and they're high-level world champions. So when I work with Chewy, working with, with Nick down there in Louisville, what a humble individual. He's still doing basic stuff. It's funny. So he, I, I subscribed to his newsletter. And one of the things that he said in one of his newsletters was that he was at an airport. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he was going to. Love uh, this story. Yeah. So he was going to um, somewhere and, and somebody came out to him and said, hey, you know, I, I, I really like your instructionals, but when are you going to stop doing the basic shit? Like when are you going to do some, some cool stuff? And he's like, well, oh, he was coming back from, from Worlds, I yeah, think. Yeah, Worlds Nogi. Nogi that he. He won his yeah. division and won the. The open division. Right, gold. Double gold. <laughs> Which is what you want to get when you go to an IBJDF tournament. It's double gold. But, yeah, go ahead. So, so he says, well, uh, since I just got back from winning double gold, I think I'm going to keep uh, being a basic bitch. And he went on and he does. I mean, he just does the, the basics really, really, really well. If you ever get a chance to go down to, to Louisville and go to Derby City MMA and get a chance to train with, with Chewy or Adam's teaching – He's got a wall full of black belts that are all under him. You got Chad Hardy, the beast Chad Hardy. This was Nick, you know, Chewy's prodigy. He is down in, in Murfreesboro running Guardian MMA for Sean. Chewy's school is ego-free. He takes the time to respond back to people. He makes time to help people with their with with the skills that they need. He he is very, very well known in the jiu-jitsu world. I can say Sean Hammonds, and maybe someone doesn't know him. But if I say Chewy, they're like, oh, yeah, I know who Chewy is. Right. Yeah, okay, yeah. That's a Sean Hammonds guy. We went down there. I think you were with us when we went down there when JT Torres yep. was down there. He did a Nogi seminar. And Chewy, as humble as he is, he talks about when he rolled with JT for like, I don't know, 15 minutes. Chewy's like, look, he says, I travel all over the United States and the world to do seminars. And he says, you know, a high probability of the time, I'm the hammer and everyone else is the nail. This time, rolling with JT, I was the nail and he was the hammer. And to watch that, I'm just like, I know how good Chewy is. And I'm watching JT, right. and I'm like, JT can move. He rolled, I don't know, JT rolled with oh, probably 30 people at that yeah. summer. He made, Everybody and anybody. He made, he made the time to roll with people, and it was like he had just been sitting. This was his first fight. He had all this energy, and that's why this guy is is you know JT. This is why he's you know world champion. This is why he's he's you know he's an undefeated multiple time champion and another very humble individual. And I think that comes from Lloyd. And I've never met Lloyd. This is what Sean says he does. Sean says I do this because Lloyd says this. So why do I do the things I do? Because Sean tells me to. Right. You know, mm-hmm. Sean says you need to do A, B, C, and D. Okay, that's the basic stuff. Now, are there other things I can do? Yeah. When I'm out here in class or when I'm teaching, it still goes back to the basics. And it's, it's I think, lineage, right? So sometimes people shit all over lineage and like, ah, who, you know, you don't know the Gracies. You don't, but there's lineage there, right? So to your point, I know, I, I know Sean, and I'm, I'm more fortunate to have Sean. So Sean Hammonds, he comes around all the time. He, I mean, he's up here at least once every couple, three months. Mm-hmm. Vic and I just went down to his school, just super welcoming. Hey, come on down. Like he spent time with us. He talked to us. So we're super fortunate in that way, and, and not everybody is, right? So if you're at one of the great big schools, may not have that. But there's still that lineage. I've never met Lloyd Irving. Then I couldn't even point him out in a crowd. Like, I see his picture on our wall because he's on our wall. Right. I know who he is. Like, to think that a lot of the stuff that I do is a direct descendant of the way that he runs his programs and runs his schools and how he trains and what he trains and the way he interacts. And that just, that goes all the way down, right? And I'm sure he learned it from, you know, go up the ladder to Hicks and Gracie or whoever it was. That's what lineage is about. Having that humility, knowing that those basics are going to be there and that that's what you need to focus on. And I think that's just, it's pretty cool to think back of of where we came from. Yeah, you can, you know, I I haven't had a chance to go train at at Lloyd's. If I'm, if I'm up in the Maryland area, I'm definitely going to make an effort to get there. Again, walking in as big as I am as a black belt, 
you know what he has his 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 metal chasers. He has his competition team. You know they got a place to stay. They got a special lounge. Come in, you put the work in. I would die on that mat. Just so trick. Lloyd did never make fun of me. I got a trick. So uh, this happened to me when I went down to Guardian. I forgot my belt. So I got to wear a pink belt, and nobody knew <laughs> what rank I was the entire week I was down there. So they didn't, they didn't come after me until they, you know, they announced it and said, "Hey, if you haven't rolled with them yet, roll with them." And then I got the shit kicked out of me for like forty-five minutes straight. But before that, if you forget your belt, they make you wear a pink belt. Yeah, that, that's. I think that's kind of something that that Tim started doing. Tim O'Hara. Oh, is it? Really? You know, we have this traveling pink belt. You forget your your belt, and I I forgot my black belt once, and I had to wear the pink belt. <laughs> you know, I, I don't give a shit. Hell, I don't even know how to tie my black belt. I, I have never. Never learned, never cared about tying my belt. You see how these people, they're out there tying their belt in all this fancy way, and you see it on Instagram. I'm like, I don't give a fuck how my belt <laughs> is tied because it's probably going to come off. It doesn't look like the, the first day white belts, though. You know that? That's oh, yeah, it's like not, six it's not knots. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not you know, like that And bad. it's backwards. And, <laughs> and this is, speaking of belts, the only thing that I ask as a black belt, and I did this from day one because Craig Wallace told me you have to do this, if there's a black belt in the room and you have to adjust your gear and put your belt on, you turn your back to the black belt. Yeah. He says it's like it's like zipping up your fly in, some, in front of somebody. I don't want to be called coach. I don't want to be called professor. I get it. I understand that. And, and when they do it, great. They can call me Russ. They can call me whatever. The only thing I ask is that, you know, when they're straightening up their belt, that they do turn their back to me or any other black belt and tie their belt because I don't want Sean coming to a class and he'll be saying what you can't even tell these guys how to Sean was, was, was a stickler on it too. He's like, you turn your back to a black belt and tie your belt. Yeah. You know? I, I think that's it. So I was taught to, to turn your back to any higher belt, right? So if you think about standing in line, getting ready to line up and, and exit class, bow out, you turn around directly because anybody behind you is going to be a lower belt, right? So yeah. that's kind of the, the, the philosophy there. So Yeah. 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 I think it's a respect thing, right? It, it is a respect a thing. Respect. Yeah. It's a spec, respect thing because you talk about the, the jiu-jitsu journey. It starts with the white belt. You can accelerate or you can get those belts, blue, your purple, your brown, and your black, on your pace. You know, you can get it faster, you can get it slower. No matter what, everybody knows that when you have a couple stripes on your belt or you get that belt promotion, you put in some time. It's usually about two to three years between belts. If you're, you know, someone like Kenny Cross, I think Kenny Cross got his black belt in, in eight years under Sean Hammonds. That's because he works his ass off and he beats everyone at his level. You know, a pound lamb down there who is Masters 5 going into Masters 6. Um, <laughs> that just means he's old, by the way. <laughs> yeah. He's old, but let me tell you something. He, he's a world champion. He's amazing. You know, and, and he is, he sticks to his game. And he'll tell you, look, I'm not like Kenny. I'm not like Nikon. I'm not like Chad. I'm me and this is what I do. I know I drive Sean crazy in, in tournaments when I get close and I pull I pull someone in deep half guard. He says, I'll stay there and wait for about two minutes left. He said, I'll do my thing. I'll win by two points. I'll win by advantage. That works. Yeah. You know, everyone's got their own way of, of competing to win. But if you don't have to compete to do jujitsu, you just have to show up. And it is humbling because, like I said, there's days I come up here and I don't want to be here. I'm just like, oh, I'm tired. I know I'm going to have to fight everybody. Just don't want to do it. Yeah. But once I start getting going, you know, and the, and the joints start loosening up a little bit, you know, like the, like the, the tin man. I was say, yeah. we, we need yeah. oil cans. <laughs> now I'm, I'm getting back into it. Then there's days I come up here and I feel like a million dollars. I struggle. When I first got my black belt, I came up to an open mat and Mike, who's a, a blue belt, mm-hmm. loves no gi, yeah. loves no gi. He wanted to do no gi with he, me. So he's about five, six. He probably goes... I'm going to guess like 190, 195. It's like a fire plug. He's just just perfect triangle. I mean, just a huge, huge little guy. And we started rolling. I kind of was fucking around, not respecting him and put myself in a bad situation. He fucking submitted me. And I'm like, motherfucker. (laughs) After that. Mike is not submitting me. I've fucking fought like a like a son bitch. I'm like, God, how did how did the blue belt submit me? Says I'm, I'm screwing around, right? And I have to I have to get back out there and, and train. You got to do I do the line drills every now and then. You know, we've kind of gotten away from that a little bit, and we're working on some grip fighting and and toriandos and takedowns. and takedowns yeah. and so forth as part of our warm up drills because you guys have a basic class that works on those yep. elbow hip yep. escapes and so right. forth. You know, everyone does it differently. When I'm getting beat by Lower belts because 
I'm not doing my jujitsu, then I know that I need to start pushing myself. And right now I'm, I'm pushing myself, but I'm also listening to my body. There's a time that, hey, four or five fights, that's probably enough for me. The last open mat we came here to, I fought one round, sat out for one round, fought another round, sat out around, fought another round, sat out around. I did that for five times because thinking I'm going to go into the worlds, it's very possible I may have a fight, sit for five minutes, have a fight, sit for five minutes, yeah. you know, or even longer. Let's say we're potentially longer, yeah. Yeah. So I, I want to try to get myself into it. Very rare are you going to go back to back in an IBJJF term. They're going to give you that five minutes. Yeah, they want to stay on schedule and they get behind, they force things, but I get my five minutes to recover, and then you get out there and fight. If we're if I'm training like that, then when I get in that situation, it's more of a normal environment for me. Sure. Anxiety stays, stays low, the body's ready to go, and the mind's thinking clearly. That's the stuff our uh, older folks need to think about, yeah. right? So how do you train smart? How do you, how do you last? Right. And speaking of lasting, what keeps you coming back? Oh, my gosh. Um, there's a couple of things. I mean, obviously, ego is one of them. Two, I'm, I'm having some success. It keeps me in shape. It keeps me ready for my job as, as a police officer. It helps with past childhood issues to, to stay strong. You, there are people here, especially at Triple Crown, that I've been with them for over five years. You know, there was a point where I thought maybe I would never train back at Triple Crown. When Sean and I discussed this, Sean asked me, he says, you cannot punish or turn your back on those people you've been with that helped you become a black belt. He says, I, I want you to, to consider teaching there a little bit more. And, and he was right. I love coming here. I, I, I love seeing the kids. I love talking to the, the young fighters. I love talking to the adults. I like seeing the progression. I'm giving back to them as a black belt. That's the other, that's, that's the other part of the black belt journey is you're a black belt, get better and now give what you know to your teammates and to your your family in jujitsu. And I know you and I have had some good conversations about why you and your family, you know, work and put so much time in a triple crown because you know it's really helped you physically, mentally. It's helped your family. That's what keeps me coming back. Um, and I and I, I still love going to Valor because that's my opportunity to be taught by Fawns and by James Fisher. Uh, I, I love going to Vision because Jeremy knows a lot and he he's still competing at his like level like 125 and he yeah yeah do whatever he wants with and me. And, yeah. and and some of those people down there that are at at vision i i really like they're great people and there was a time when i was training there that you know my personal life was maybe a wreck and but i could always go there and have a smile and get a good workout in i can go over in the shimmies and and jason man he's real close to getting his black belt and he is he is ta- he is tough to run with and, and that's a challenge so that's what keeps me coming back. It's the challenge. How do I get better? Yeah, I got a black belt, but I don't want to be like the blue belt of black belts and then just stop training, yeah. disappear. And and when you become a blue belt, you're either going to get to your purple belt or you're going to quit. A lot of people quit at that blue belt because once you get it, you're like, oh my God, I, I finally got it. I'm no longer a white belt. But yet the white belts are still giving you a hard time or submitting you. And the purple belts, they sure as hell aren't going to let you, you know, <laughs> fucking anything. win. So they're yeah. killing you anyway. And don't even think about coming up against the, the Browns or the black belts because they'll be like, dude, you're a blue belt. Good for you. Right. Good head. for you. Right. Nice job. Yeah. Let me show you something. Congratulations. You know, so yeah, it's, I'm basically the white belt of black belts again, Yeah, That's you know, awesome. which is fine. So when you think about all the stuff that you've learned in, you know, the, the 14 years that you've been training, through everything you've done, everything you've gone through, the training lifestyle that you've lived, which I think is really cool, by the way, what's one thing that you've also let traverse through the rest of your life? As far as what, like a, as, a, as a police officer or? Just in general, right? So something that you've learned through jujitsu, like I, I think a, a, for me personally, there's a lot of things like being in bad situations, being comfortable in uncomfortable situations and carrying that through at work and at home and different places. So that's something that I kind of personally think about. Everyone's got a story. Everyone's got a story of why they're training jujitsu. Maybe some of these people have a background where maybe they've been arrested. Maybe they have had some issues in their life. When I see them as who they are, I have more empathy and more understanding. And I understand that these people, some of them had a hard life when they're trying to get back on, on their feet or they're dealing, they could be dealing with addiction. They could be dealing with all kinds of things. It's fun to have an understanding of where other people have come through 
because one, it gives you a perspective of maybe your life isn't that hard. Someone's always got it worse. But then these people also, they have life experiences on life terms. They understand when you, when you tell them you're having a hard time, they, they understand that. Someone that's never had a hard time or a difficult time in their life, you tell them about you know financial problems, relationship problems, work problems, they don't understand. So I know when, when we talk to, when I talk to some of these people and we share their stories, when they say, man, I understand, they, they, they do understand. Here's what worked for me. So that, that is something that I really like that's outside of jujitsu, but has something to do with jujitsu. And this is, this is just a great way of letting off stress and, and steam, especially as a, as a law enforcement officer, you know, and as a, a detective. Man, I see the worst of the worst. I imagine. Mm-hmm. I, I only, I only get to see people at their worst. That's what law enforcement deal. We people call police officers or law enforcement cops, whatever. When something bad's happened, they're involved in an accident. They get a ticket. Someone stole from them. They've been physically or sexually abused. They've been robbed. They witnessed a crime. Someone's died in their family. You see people at their worst at that time. We never get to see people at their best. When cases come to my desk, they're usually things that require a lot of follow up, a lot of investigations, and I've had some horrific crimes. Going to crime scenes, going to autopsies, looking at people's videos and, and cell phones and pictures and seeing what we do as humans can be extremely overwhelming. And you have to find a way of relieving that internally. And let's face it, cops are, we're tough. You know, we're usually type A personality people. We don't need help. We don't like going to counseling. That's the way it is. Don't ask for it. You're weak. That's changed quite a bit now. You find a way to cope with it. Some of those ways are good. Some of those ways are bad. Some officers get involved in in alcohol and drugs. They become violent themselves. Others find other type of resources for positive releases. Jiu-jitsu and and working out, that's that's one of my ways that I can come down here, feel good about myself. That's one of the reasons why I taught kids class that night because – those kids are so excited to see me. They got these big smiles. They're always wanting to roll with me after class and this and that. That that Thursday, that whole week sucked. And I'm just like, you know what? I'm gonna let whoever wants to teach adult class go then teach it. I'm gonna play with the kids. I'm gonna I'm gonna teach the kids because they're always happy. It was like Santa walked in, yeah. by the way. Like their faces <laughs> just lit up and they're like, Oh, Santa Claus. I think that people were like, are you really going to teach kids class? Then why the hell not? I used to teach kids class with Craig Wallace. Yeah. You know, it was a little bit difficult because I was the only one there. Right. You know, and I got four or five students. That's a lot. And (laughs) it's like, I can't do anything with them because they're not their size. And we have instructors that are about their size. They've done a good job of setting up the basics for them. And, man, they were just, they were excited. It really made me feel good to walk into class, see these smiles, see their enthusiasm. I enjoyed it. I mean, they they really liked it. And like I said today, I come in and they're like, are you going to teach class tonight? No, (laughs) not tonight. That's humanity at its best, right? That innocence and the the exuberation, the excitement, the happiness, the joy. Another thing I I think I've really taken away from jujitsu my my 13-plus years is humility. That's not something that easily learned, especially with some of the things that I've gone through. To be humbled and and have humility, eat crow, pride at times. No one out here ever tries to disrespect anybody. If you get beat, you get beat. Right. If you, you didn't, on. yeah. If you didn't do very good, figure out what you didn't do right, and and go back and fix it. Constantly challenging yourself and constantly looking at ways of getting better. Whether it's jujitsu, your personal life, you know, your work, your relationship, whatever. What you're trying to do to make yourself a better person. And humility is tough. So my last question that I always ask here is what would you say to the new beginner white belt that maybe he did run into somebody who's he or she ran into somebody who's not really being a good training partner and they're thinking maybe this could not be for me or you know maybe I should try it again what what would you give them what kind of tip uh, or motivation would you give them well hopefully if as an instructor if I see that I need to to address it. Yeah. There's two parts about doing jiu-jitsu. It's the person doing the drill and the person working with them. If the person working with them wants to do their own little thing and, and counter that, well, that's kind of bullshit. You're not being a good partner. If I see it and I need to speak with them, I'm just going to say, look, th- this is tough. You just have to keep coming back. There's going to be a point where you're going to think, man, I'm never going to get better. And that's the point that either you're going to continue with it or you're going to quit. There's two ways to get better. Stop doing it. Or get better at doing it. 
Right. That those are your two choices. Just to come in and and just half ass it gonna work. But just keep coming back. As you come back, you're eventually gonna find somebody that comes into class that's new too. <laughs> so you get to, you get to kind of kind of fuck with him a little bit. You know, it's like, oh yeah, it's my turn, man. I'm gonna, right. you know, I'm gonna I remember, get you. I remember when that happened. It was a guy named Rob. And he came in, and he's a little bit smaller than me. I've been training him for like probably three months, four months by the time he got here. I'm like, oh, thank God, I'm not the new guy anymore. So we get on the mats, and we have it. And this man was like a fucking ox. Like, he yeah, was just strong. strong. Yeah. Like, he just had this ridiculous strength, and he just kind of threw me around. I'm like, well, God damn it, I can't even beat him. What am I doing? I, I, all right, back to the kids' class. <laughs> <laughs> Come here, I'm going to submit you. <laughs> Russ, this has been so much fun. Oh, this is Thank great. Learned a great. ton about you. Uh, just thanks so much for being on the podcast. We yeah, appreciate thanks it, for man. coming in. Appreciate what you do for Triple Crown and Sean Hammond's team. I can tell you that I personally appreciate everything you've done for us. Yep. Uh, it's awesome to have you here as a coach and Thank a you. person. Thank so you. Feels really you. great. Really, awesome. really appreciate coming here. I was excited. I was really excited <laughs> about a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, awesome, man. Hey, anything you want to plug? No, I mean, just be you. That's all you need to do is just be you. There awesome. you go. Be you and be safe, guys. Thanks, everybody.